Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. And I don't think I've had a gentle rant for a while, so I think it's way past due. And today's episode is called, Are You Even Listening? And don't worry, this isn't a rant about you, dear listener. I know you're listening. But my question is aimed at nutritionists in general, and more specifically, those who specialize in intuitive eating. I don't know if you've heard of intuitive eating before, but when I first heard of it, I thought, oh, these are my people, this is my thing. Because I feel like I eat and I fast intuitively. In other words, I feel so much more connected and in tune with my body since I stopped eating sugar and started intermittent fasting. But the more I looked into intuitive eating and spoke to some intuitive eating experts, the more I realized, oh, hang on, this isn't what I thought at all. So I'll get to my rant in just a minute. And this week's episode is brought to you by the After Sugar Club, which is where you'll get the step-by-step guidance you need from me to help you let go of sugar and the emotional hold it has on you so that you can get to a place of freedom where you don't even need, want or miss it anymore so that you can break free from sugar for good and make your intermittent fasting lifestyle easy and natural. That's aftersugarclub.com and click on the green button, join the club. And if you're an intermittent faster, then I have five tips for you to help you get rid of cravings that may be getting in the way of you living your easy and natural intermittent fasting lifestyle. Go to aftersugarclub.com and download my five tips there. And if this is your first time here, welcome. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that it appears magically in your podcast player every Sunday. And if you've listened to several episodes before and you haven't yet left a review, could I ask you to scroll down please and rate the podcast and leave a lovely review to tell me how this podcast is helping you in your life after sugar. Has it inspired you to reduce sugar? Has it made you think about sugar a little bit differently? Let me know. I love reading your reviews. Thank you. All right, so when I came across the concept of intuitive eating, it really spoke to me. I really resonated with it because the first kind of principle of intuitive eating is to reject the diet mentality and you may be just like me where you grew up with the diet mentality without kind of even realizing it. You may have tried all kinds of different diets. I certainly did 
And I just thought it was normal for a woman to grow up dieting. And part of that diet mentality was kind of seeing food as the enemy. Food as something that automatically would make you put on weight. And I always had a kind of a love-hate relationship with my food because I really, really enjoyed eating all my life. But at the same time, I'd feel guilty and frustrated sometimes because the foods I loved most were the ones making me put on weight. And it wasn't just about my weight. I also had pretty horrendous digestive problems, as well as skin breakouts and headaches, infertility problems and anxiety and depression. Of course, I never thought that this had anything to do with what I was eating, let alone the diet mentality, but I know better now. So when I saw that intuitive eating throws out the diet books and magazine articles that offer you the false hope of losing weight quickly and easily and gives the finger to the diet culture that promotes weight loss and makes you feel like you're a failure every time a diet stops working, well, I was like, yes, love it. Go intuitive eating. So I started looking into intuitive eating a bit more deeply and I discovered some of the concepts that totally resonated with me. Like, for example, honouring your hunger. I mean, I used to feel starving several times a day, even though I was eating all the time. And when I stopped eating sugar, I realised, oh, maybe it's not hunger that I'm actually feeling. Maybe it's something else. And I really started to get in touch with my actual hunger rather than with this feeling of, I gotta eat now, which I know now was basically just spikes and crashes in my blood sugar. I don't get those anymore. And I don't get the feeling of feeling like I'm starving and I just can't wait to eat. And intuitive eating is all about making peace with food. And when I stopped eating sugar, instead of demonizing it, I made peace with it, like a truce. And I gave myself permission to eat foods that are delicious and make me feel my best. And I stopped using food, especially sugar, to fill my emotional needs. So feeling at peace with my food was such a liberation for me. Because of course, whenever we feel restricted and that some foods are forbidden or not allowed, hello diet mentality, then when we get access to those foods again, we go crazy. At least I used to. And I also don't miss that overwhelming guilt and frustration and even shame that I used to have after eating too much or eating the wrong foods, in air quotes. I have peace from all of that. So what I loved about intuitive eating when I first found out about it was that it challenges the food police. It doesn't see food as good or bad. It doesn't obsess about calories. It doesn't let you beat yourself up because you ate a square of chocolate or a slice of cake. It doesn't follow all those unreasonable rules that the diet culture created in the first place. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? And that's why I got so excited 
when I first reached out to some intuitive eating experts to invite them to be on my podcast. But imagine my dismay when, without exception, every single one turned me down. Why? Because they told me that they can't get behind my approach of restricting certain foods to the point of never touching them ever again. Well, imagine my surprise when I got these types of messages and again, without exception, when I reached back to them and actually asked them if they'd ever listened to my podcast, none of them had. So I was really disappointed that they'd been jumping to conclusions about the message on this podcast being one of restriction and strict rules and foods being not allowed. I mean, you have to really not get what I'm about if you think that's what life after sugar is. Sugar being not allowed? Nobody tells me what to eat or not to eat and I certainly don't tell anyone else. There's a huge difference between not being allowed to eat something, again, the diet mentality, and choosing what you want to eat or not eat because it's part of your personal power to choose to eat the foods that make you feel your best. So I got the feeling that we weren't quite as compatible as I thought we were. So that made me read up about intuitive eating a bit more. Now one thing about intuitive eating is moderation rather than portion control. Now according to intuitive eating, What moderation actually means is eating enough food to feel satisfied. Not too much and not too little. And they say that intuitive eaters that focus on incorporating a variety of foods while also listening to their hunger cues are likely already eating foods in moderation. So they don't need to weigh or measure anything or restrict anything. Well, that sounds very lovely in theory, But in my experience, and the experience of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of others, where sugar's concerned, moderation is just pie in the sky. In fact, I did another gentle rant on episode 12 of the Life After Sugar podcast, all about moderation, all about people who keep on telling me to eat sugar in moderation when I know that where sugar is concerned, there is no moderation possible. And not just sugar, pretty much all processed foods hijack my brain's ability to moderate them. And believe me, I'm definitely not the only one. I'm not denying that some people can moderate sugar and processed foods. Good for them. But for others, including myself, I couldn't eat sugar and sweets and chocolate and bread moderately without negative consequences, not just physical, but also emotional and psychological. So yes, we all have unique body chemistry and we're all different. And one individual's food is another's poison. What we eat affects us in different ways. Some people get high or excited by caffeine And for others, it has no effect. Some people can eat one square of chocolate. And others, like me, can't stop until the whole bar is gone. So telling us to moderate 
is an exercise in futility. And not only that, I find it insulting. It's like I feel invisible to the person telling me to moderate. It's nothing to do with having a bad character or a lack of self-control or willpower. It doesn't make you into a good or a bad person. It's just that some of us are more sensitive to the effect that sugar has on us and others are not. And they can moderate. And it's funny because this brings up the question of addiction and whether sugar or food is considered to be addictive by the intuitive eating community. I just want to take a quick break to introduce you to my partner for this podcast, Medicine with Heart, which is an international functional medicine clinic specializing in difficult chronic cases of hormone imbalance, Lyme disease, mold illness, and digestive dysfunction. You can sign up for a consultation with their team to see if they can help reverse your disease. Find out more about them at medicinewithheart.com. Now, I'm no expert in intuitive eating, and I've never claimed to be a nutritionist either. So, as you may know, I'm an English teacher, and my university education was in linguistics. So, I'm very interested in words, and I agree that we need to explore the word addiction, and, I don't know, maybe look it up in a dictionary. So a regular dictionary defines addiction as physically or mentally dependent on a particular substance. And what we need to know as consumers and non-experts in the field of nutrition is that in the clinical space, there is actually no agreed upon definition of food addiction and it's not a diagnosis in the most up-to-date version of the DSM-5, which is the diagnostic manual that doctors use. There is a section of the DSM-5 that's called Substance-Related and Addictive Disorders, but actually this only includes gambling. In fact, overeating, as per the clinical definition, was specifically left out of this section due to insufficient evidence. Some of you may have heard of the Yale Food Addiction Scale, which is based on substance use disorder criteria. The Yale Food Addiction Scale is what most research uses to quantify food addiction. Criteria include the inability to stop eating despite negative consequences, feelings of loss of control and persistent and intense cravings. Sound familiar? If you're listening to this podcast, it probably does. And actually, I did another podcast episode about is sugar addictive back in July 2021, that's episode 26 of the Life After Sugar podcast. So here's the thing. See, research has yet to find a specific addictive agent in foods. So the Yale Food Addiction Scale relies mostly on individual behaviors. And in science, that's not enough. I mean, think of it this way. If you look at drug addiction, the first question on a scale might be, was an addictive substance used? 
Well, that's not quite as easy to answer when it comes to food. So, can we really make a food addiction diagnosis? Can we use one person's individual experience to qualify on a mass scale? Well, whatever my and your opinion may be, here's the point that a lot of intuitive eating experts make, which is that food addiction is A, not a clinical diagnosis, B, not defined, and C, it's based on highly debatable evidence, like anecdotal evidence that we have here in this podcast. Now, that's not to say that just because food addiction is not supported by scientific evidence to the degree that it would be in the DSM-5, that it's not valid. I mean, you probably experienced it. I certainly did. So it's not like our experience isn't valid. It's just that it's not borne out yet by scientific research. Or is it? Well, we know that there's been plenty of lab research on rats and more and more studies validate the types of behaviours and emotional experiences when it comes to their relationship with sugar, according to Nicole Avina, PhD, Assistant Professor of Pharmacological Sciences at the Econ School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. Their studies show that there are neurochemical changes in the brain that occur when we overeat sugar And these changes are similar to what is seen with addictions to drugs like alcohol or morphine. And it's not like food addiction is completely ignored by the nutrition world. I mean, in the 2021 Annual Review of Nutrition, it was quoted that ultra-processed foods are the result of processing naturally occurring substances and refining them into evolutionarily novel substances. And I quote some more, such substances tempt human taste buds with unnaturally high levels of ingredients that stimulate brain regions related to reward and motivation. As a result, consuming food today can engage behaviours similar to those accompanying addiction to drugs of abuse. So although traditionally addiction experts have dismissed the notion that potato chips or ice cream could be addictive in the same sense as, say, heroin or alcohol, now that we're in the 21st century, with processed foods, including sugar, being pretty much everywhere, even though, like tobacco, ultra-processed foods may not trigger intoxication or may not cause life-threatening physical withdrawal symptoms, although if you've been through sugar detox, it's pretty awful. The fact is that many, many people are prone to compulsively consume sugar and processed foods, even in the face of significant negative consequences, just like drugs or tobacco. And these types of behaviours are widely recognised in the nutrition world, so does it really matter whether or not we call them addiction? And so really, in my humble opinion, a nutrition professional like a registered dietitian or a specialist who really understands nutrition therapy and interventions is the kind of professional we need who can really listen and really help with these types of behaviours 
instead of suggesting that we moderate these types of foods that are causing all this suffering. And even though research has shown that sugar basically acts on the same reward pathways in the brain as cocaine and other street drugs, which is why so many people crave it so strongly, whether these intense sugar cravings should be officially classified as an addiction is controversial among scientists. And so far, there's little official evidence to support sugar addiction in humans, and these findings from animal literature suggest that addiction-like behaviours, such as binging, occur only in the context of intermittent access to sugar, which means that if sugar is taken away for a period of time from the rats and then presented to them again, they go crazy. So the results of these experiments is that these behaviours likely arise only from intermittent access to sweet-tasting or highly palatable foods and not the neurochemical effects of sugar themselves. Which is why the intuitive eating approach points to the fact that there is no evidence to suggest food addiction exists. But they also say that it doesn't invalidate how it feels. I mean, maybe you've had this experience where you feel out of control around certain foods or you feel that you just can't keep certain types of food in the house because you're afraid that you won't be able to stop eating it. I certainly get that. And so this can absolutely feel like an addiction. Now, as I said before, I'm no nutrition expert and I don't claim to be But I did do my university studies in linguistics and one branch of linguistics is semantics, which is concerned with meanings of words. And what I'm finding in this back and forth argument about whether or not sugar or certain types of highly processed, highly palatable foods are addictive or not, is an argument around the meaning of the word addiction or addictive far more than about how to help people who are suffering from these types of behaviours and feelings like cravings and binging and who are feeling powerless and helpless and ashamed and frustrated and maybe even more so for the fact that they're being told that sugar addiction doesn't even exist. So with people who are having real difficulties with how sugar and processed foods make them feel, I just don't think it's particularly useful to come along and start having some kind of an argument about the semantics of the words addiction or addictive. It just doesn't feel particularly helpful. There are also plenty of food and addiction experts that do recognise that whatever the term we give it, there's a huge need for information on addiction and more specifically food addiction And for example, Dr. Vera Tarman, who's the author of the book Food Junkies and who was on my podcast on episode 46, well, she's been reaching out to the medical and addiction communities through her workshops and speaking engagements for years. She doesn't let the term addiction get in the way of actually helping people by educating thousands across the world who are struggling with their relationship with food, and more specifically, sugar. Now, where I totally agree with the intuitive eating experts is that 
The diet culture tells us that specific foods are good or bad, including sugar. And then we feel that we should be restricting them, just like those rats. And then when sugar is presented to us again, we can't stop eating it. But see, that type of restriction is the opposite of the freedom, the liberation that I talk about in Life After Sugar. And I suppose that if the intuitive eating experts actually listen to this podcast, they'd understand that what this freedom I talk about entails is not external control of what we eat that leads to feeling restricted. It's our internal choice that's an expression of our personal power to choose what we want to eat to make us feel our best and what not to eat that makes us feel awful and behave in ways that we don't want to behave. I mean, I hope I make that distinction clear enough in this podcast about the difference between feeling restricted from the outside and free from the inside. So I totally get what intuitive eating experts mean when they talk about making peace with food. It's just that for many of us, that peace comes from not eating sugar. I'm not saying comes from restricting sugar. I'm saying that it comes from a choice not to eat sugar because we found that sugar and other types of hyperpalatable, super processed foods take away our freedom. And eating them, even in moderation, is the opposite of the freedom and the peace we want with food and with ourselves. So this is why I refer to this episode as a gentle rant, because I'm not bitching about the intuitive eating approach. I think it's fantastic. The non-diet approach, the unconditional permission to eat, and by eat I mean real foods, not hyperpalatable, industrially engineered products, and I agree with encouraging people to recognize their hunger and satiety cues and to eat for physical rather than emotional reasons, although I would also add eating for enjoyment. And there's lots more in the intuitive eating approach that I love. I suppose what my gentle rant is about is to do with jumping to the conclusion that because my podcast is about life after sugar, that it promotes restriction or seeing sugar as not allowed or telling people that they can never have any sugar ever again. I mean, have you ever heard me even say that? Of course not. Partly because I don't believe in it and partly because I'm not a nutrition expert And my role is certainly not to tell you what to eat or what not to eat, but rather as a teacher and a linguistics graduate to encourage you to think, question things, including yourself and me, and also the diet mentality that may make us jump to the conclusion that life after sugar is a joyless life of restriction, whereas you and I know that life after sugar is actually a joyful way of living because we feel free from the hold that sugar has on us 
And we don't need anyone telling us what we can or can't eat. And if you want some free resources about what whole real foods are, then go to my website aftersugarclub.com and click on the tab What to Eat. You'll find three videos there, one about which foods don't have added sugars, another about how to find these foods at the grocery store, and the third video is about what's the deal with fermented foods. Because these are also whole foods that look after your gut health. And gut health is central to your general health. Now, I'm not telling you what to eat or what not to eat, but knowledge is power and you can use that power to make your own choices. And while you're there on the website at aftersugarclub.com, you can download your simple guide to getting more energy. Just click on the tab Simple Guide or download my five tips for getting rid of cravings. Whether you're an intermittent faster or not, cravings can really stop you from feeling free with your food. So download those five tips at aftersugarclub.com and you can get more free resources on the Life After Sugar Facebook page and come and subscribe to my Instagram which is at my life after sugar, where I post pictures of what I eat, what I do, and sometimes pictures of our cat, <laughs> so that you can see that it is totally possible to live an active, happy, and fun life, even if you don't eat sugar. And for a deeper dive into your relationship with sugar and how you can work towards freeing yourself from the hold that sugar has on you, so that you can get to that place of joyful freedom from sugar that I've been living for almost seven years and experience what it feels like not to want, need or even miss sugar anymore, then the After Sugar Club is for you. Check it out at aftersugarclub.com And if this podcast is inspiring you to take one more step towards your life after sugar, then could I ask you to please scroll down and leave the podcast a lovely five-star rating and leave a short review to let me know how this podcast is inspiring you to break free from sugar your way and find the real sweetness in life. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.